Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. From Genesis 29, 16 through 35. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished a week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So we shall name him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This is God's word. Thank you, Graham. We're going to try something new and move over here to be a little more center. See how that works. Before we begin, uh, I just, you know, I'm going to take a moment of pastoral privilege. Um, I've been getting text messages from my family and my dad, uh, who uh, has been pretty integral to starting Redeemer of old. Redeemer LSQ is a new uh, entity of, uh, as of five years ago. Uh, but he's been getting treatment, and he's down... Uh, at the National Institute of Cancer, and um, just this morning, there's just been a bunch of text messages about, um, you know, things being not good. Um, so, I would like to pray, if you don't mind. If you guys stand, let's pray together. Heavenly Father. 
You led us to even, we, we, we want to be a culture of prayer at this church. And you let even pastors pray for their dads. I pray for my father, um, who's been important to a lot of people, including myself. Um, I pray for the medicine to work. Uh, it's, he's hurting right now, not from the cancer, but from the, the treatment for cancer. And I pray for his body to start working again, for his kidneys to clean up the stuff in his system that is needed. This will only work if you decide it's true and needed and now. If it's not, if you're ready to call him home, I understand. I pray that we just leave this at your feet and say, come what may, knowing that you know infinitely more than what we can know. We lift our prayers together, all of us, because you want to hear your children ask and come to you. So we do so now, and then we continue with your text to see what it will say to us in this moment. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Can be seated. Come up, Scott. Scott's one of our elders. I'm one of uh, the you, elders here. Do you want to take the mic? I'm one of the elders here. And as I was sitting in the pew and listening to Michael's prayer, I want to pray for him. Thank you. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Michael. We thank you for his love for you. We thank you for your love for him. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which the Holy Spirit works in and through him to pastor this church. We thank you for the way he teaches. We thank you for the love of his family. We pray, Lord, that you would protect him, that you would watch over him, that you would provide your deep and abiding peace to him. We pray that you would give him guidance and strength. We pray, Lord, that you would be with his father and his mother and his family. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen them at this time. We ask that you would heal, heal hearts, heal minds, heal brokenness, heal the body. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this man. We thank you for his special anointment. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would comfort him at this time and give him what he has to share with us today, that it would come directly from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Scott. Okay. Good morning. And welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Last year, the New York Times ran an article called, titled this, He Asked Permission to Teach, But Not to Ghost. And the article essentially is detailing how culturally we live in a world of consent when it comes to sexual relationships, but it seems that there's, there's still something missing. And the writer of that text goes on and she says this. She says, Asking about my feelings during sex 
didn't extend to caring about them after sex. Our bodies are only one part of the complex constellation of who we are. To base our culture of consent on the body alone is to expect that caretaking only involves the physical. And I think what her point is this. Her point is saying, yeah, we live in a world that says the only thing that matters is the physicality. But then we all kind of know in the way we operate is that we're more than just the physical. There's something more going on there. And yet it seems like the way we set up the rules of engagement, it doesn't actually handle or know what to do with that moreness of who we are. I think what she's tapping into is that there's something about just her sexual experiences that aren't able to really meet her needs of being known, loved, and cared for. And I think we can agree that every human in this world is looking to be known, loved, and cared for. We try it in, in sex. We try it in in all different types of relationships. But we're all looking for that thing that's going to make us whole, that's going to complete us, that's going to give us joy, that's going to give us contentment, that's going to give us happiness. And we've been in the book of Genesis the past couple months because we're just trying to get at these essential questions that whether you're a Christian or not a Christian here or online, that we're all asking. And I think today's text helps us because it lets us tap into our story and the greater story at the same time. That we see in this particular story, our story as well. So let's break this down into three parts. We're going to look at this in three uh, headings. One, we're going to see how sin always seems to find us out. Secondly, that leads to our struggle for wholeness. And then thirdly, then how can we get the wholeness now? Sin seems to always find us out. That's part of our struggle for wholeness. But then, how then we can have that wholeness now. So first, sin seems to always find us out. And to get to here, we need to dive into this particular story. But if I can summarize, going back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, all things were made good. Genesis 3, though, everything falls and is broken. Which, by the way, side point, we have to hold those two things together. I I would argue many of our problems in culture is that we don't know how to hold together that everything was made good, but everything's broken. And if everything's good but broken, then nothing is completely something we can throw ourselves into as good, and nothing is completely something we can just say, I'm going to reject and say, I'm going to get out of. All things are good but fallen, and part of the redemption process that God has begun here. Because by Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, you know what? I am going to save this world, and I'm going to do it through a very particular people, and it's going to begin with you. And he goes to Abraham, and he goes to Sarah, and he says, it's through your seed, it's through your offspring. And then the long-awaited son came, Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, because his father wanted to only bless Esau, because his father only had eyes for Esau, felt the need to steal Esau's blessing. He felt the need to take his birthright, and so he steals it, he takes it, he deceives his father, and then he runs. And he runs because Esau's bigger, he's, he's got the, you know, the, the men at arms of his family, and he's worried about being killed. So he's being pursued, he's on the run, and he goes, and then by this story, he's fleed, he's gone to his mother's family. 
His mother's family says, we'll protect you. And he meets his uncle Laban. And we're told here in verse 16, uncle Laban had two daughters. And in verse 17, we're told Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was beautiful. A lot of commentaries, you say, what's weak eyes about? A lot of commentaries disagree. Some say, well, the local customs back then, you could only see people's eyes. Uh, A lot of the women for um, modesty dressed in a way where you could only see their eyes. But people don't really know. But we know it's being contrasted against Rachel's beauty. And so Jacob wants to marry Rachel, and he spends seven years to pay off the dowry needed to marry her. And yet what our text shows us is that Uncle Laban deceives Jacob. He gets to his wedding night, and for whatever reason, whether it's the customs of the local culture back then, maybe it was because there was no electricity, and at nighttime everything was dark, maybe because he had a little bit too much to drink the night before. We don't know, but somehow he went to bed thinking he was with Rachel, and he wakes up with Leah. He thought he had married Rachel, but actually he had married Leah. And what the whole point of this text, which is interesting, is we've been watching Jacob, the deceiver, finally, here in Genesis 29, he's deceived. And this gets to Jacob's name. If you go to the Hebrew name of Jacob, it means schemer. It means deceiver. And so really what you're seeing here is this is the moment where the tables have turned. The player gets played. And you say, okay, why does that matter? It matters because there seems to be something about the fabric of reality. There seems to be something about how the world was made that through our sins, through our issues and our flaws, eventually they always find us out. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs talks about how essentially there are natural consequences for our sin patterns. It's just the way the world is made, the world was, was formed, that when we sin, all of us, we're not breaking some arbitrary rules that God made up to, you know, you know like kind of like Twister, you know, right hand on left and, and right, you know, left hand on blue, and, and that's not what's going on with God's law. What's happening is when, when you break God's law, you're also violating your nature, how you were actually formed. Growing up, I had a lot of friends in the city. I went to uh, New York City Public School, and people would say, oh, you're, 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 your dad's a pastor, you're a Christian. It must mean you're religious, right? You go to church. So you follow those kind of ancient rules like the Ten Commandments and the, the sexual ethics and the things about like you have to give money and steward your, your funds and stuff. And they all kind of went, ew, that's so regressive. That's so, ugh. And yet, when you make statements like that, what you're showing is that you don't realize that every single one of the laws in the Bible actually have real, tangible, logical consequences. Let me give you a couple examples of that. How about the sin of gluttony? Sin of gluttony, I promise you, will lead to the natural consequence of health issues. The sin of vanity... You think, you know, that you're so vain, you think that song's about you, right? What's vanity do? It makes you not just full of yourself, but you end up being shallow and thin, and you get passed over for a lot of things. How about the sin of alcoholism, right? You get, you, you're going to lose a liver eventually. How about if you don't follow the biblical sexual ethics about keeping sex inside marriage? What ends up happening there is you end up, your body gets used by others, and you use other people's bodies. That's actually what that New York Times article is all about. That being naked physically 
Somehow, if you do that, and yet you're not naked monetarily, legally, spiritually, emotionally, there's a, dis, there's a, there's a disjointedness in that, in that where you're, you're saying, you know, your body's writing checks that, you, that, your, that your life can't cash, so to speak. Because you end up saying, hey, I'm here physically naked so that you can see, but you're not naked any other way. And that, there's a dehumanizing nature to that. That somehow every law, every sin, we can, you know, you can do this if you, on your free time. Just start writing out the laws and then ask yourself, what might be the thing, if this gets transgressed, that falls apart in my life? Be a great, actually, uh, you know, exercise to do together. Somehow, if you're a hater, you're going to be hated. Somehow, if you're a cheater, you're going to get cheated. Somehow, if you're a liar, you get lied to. And that's why it, way before there's a judgment day, For every single one of us, there is judgment, but it tends to come through our natural actions and consequences through those actions. Let me try to be careful, though. Um, We live in a broken world, right? Genesis 3. So sometimes the, the good die young. Sometimes cancer gets the best of us. Sometimes the, the wicked die old and well fed. That's what really the book of Job is all about. And yet by the end of the book of Job, Job's friends are called out because they start saying, well, listen, yeah, the good have good lives and the bad have bad lives. And yet we know somehow that's not always how it works. And yet that doesn't discount the fabric of reality. That the reason why crime doesn't pay is because if you cheat, you will be cheated. And that's exactly what's happening to Jacob, that his sin has found him out. But I would argue for every single one of us in this room, the same thing is happening to us. Everybody in this room, we're either right now running away from something or running to something because of the consequences of our sin, because of the nature of our flaws. And I'm not up here to tell you, watch out, you better not cry, you better not, you know, I'm not here to tell you, shape up or ship out. Because I don't have to, you know why? Your sins are going to get you anyway. What I'm here to tell you is, don't ignore that. Don't ignore what, what are the things that are operating in your life right now that God might be using right now to say, wake up, watch out, take a look at this. Is this really working out well for you right now? See, what might, here's before we move on, what might be the many wake-up calls that are happening in your daily life right now that are saying this isn't working the way you're working with your schedule, the way, what you're putting your time to, what you think is going to work isn't working. And so, yes, there are external factors that are making your life harder. I want to acknowledge that. But I also want you to take the time to look at your character flaws, to look at your sin patterns, to look at the things of your, in your past that are hunting you down right now. What are those things for you? Because I would argue they contribute to our second point here, the struggle for wholeness. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. 
If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Second point, struggle for wholeness. Go back to Jacob. He's been cheated. He's mad. He's like, what the heck did you do? I just worked seven years of my life. And Laban, shrewd as he is, says, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Be cool. I'll, you can have Rachel as well. In fact, you can have, after there's like, there was like a week-long period for the, you know, marriage ceremony back then. So it said, after a week of you being married to Leah, we'll marry you off to Rachel right now. You, all you have to do is work seven more years. It's very shrewd how he pulls it off. And by the way, the Bible, you say, wait a second, this is polygamy. The Bible is being descriptive here. It's not being prescriptive, right? Descriptive is what happened. It's not prescriptive of, hey, you should do this. In fact, if you follow along this whole story, you'll see how the problems of polygamy and Rachel and Leah and how they interact. But Laban's like, hey, work seven more years. And so total, he's telling Jacob, work 14 years for the dowry of Rachel. A lot of commentaries point this out, that seven years was an exorbitant amount. And that, that Jacob, by the way, set. Laban says here, he says, hey, name your price. Name what, it, what, what your wages. And he says, seven years, which is already a lot. But in 14 years, that's ridiculous. And here's what I want to know. Why? Why would Jacob sign himself up for that? On the surface, go look down at verse 30. On the surface, it says, well, it's because the, the romantics in the room go, because he loved Rachel. That's why he did it. He loved Rachel. But I want to go deeper. I want to know why did he do this? Why did he feel like he had to have Rachel, right? If, we, if it's true that everybody on this planet is looking for wholeness, that's looking for healing, why was he head over heels for her? It says in our text that the, the years passed like they were nothing. And at first we want to like read that romantically, but why did that happen? And the answer is he was so laser focused on her that it didn't, and nothing else really mattered. He was so smitten by her, but why? I think the answer is this. He made her his everything. Go back to Jacob's life. He had actually lost everything. He had lost his father's love. He had lost his brother's love. He had lost his worldly possessions of love, of all the material things. He lost his inheritance. This man is penniless and poor and without title and without purpose and meaning. And he ends up in his extended family, and he throws all his hopes and dreams on her. In short... What's happening here is Jacob had nothing, and so he actually ends up making Rachel his everything. He had to. There's nothing else. And you can, you know, some of you go, oh yeah, see, that's what happens. You start wagging your finger at him, but look at every other character in this text. Let's look at Laban for a second. Laban, if you go up to, to verse 18, when he says, I will work for seven years, notice in 19, he never agrees to that, those terms. He never says, agreed, handshake deal kind of sly. In fact, in 19, it's this kind of cryptic statement. He says, yeah, it's better I give her to you, to you than some other man. <laughs> what, what's going on? What is that? Jacob is being swindled by Laban. Laban's already starting the process of setting up his scheme. 
Laban thinks if I can just, you know what? I'm never going to marry off Leah, but if I can marry off both of them and make this dude work for 14 years, I can make a bunch of money off this guy. What's he doing? This is like, let's make a deal guy. Laban is like, he's the, he's, he's the uh, um, broker who's like, I'm going ma- to get my life, I'm going to get my identity through all this money and stuff that I can make out of this guy. That's where he's finding his worth. Well, go to Leah. Leah the unwanted. Rachel gets the love that she doesn't get. And so what does Leah do? Probably one of the most heart-wrenching verses in the entire Bible. If you go down to verse 32, after she, has, she says, I need to be productive, I need to get pregnant, that's how this world works in the ancient Near East. In verse 32 she says, Surely my husband will, now, will love me now. Surely, it has to be. I'm throwing my hopes and dreams on this. This, is, this has to be the way it's going to work. Do you see what's happening here? Everyone, everyone is struggling for wholeness. Jacob wants it because he never got it from his dad. Laban wants it because he wants to get rich. Leah wants it through pregnancy. Rachel probably wanted it because she was the pretty one. See, you can do this in so many stinking different ways. Guess what? You and I can look for wholeness because we end up seeing somebody who's not whole and we say, I'm going to be that person's wholeness. You have a friend who has daddy issues, who has, uh, uh, you know, needs somebody to make them whole, and you can throw yourself into that relationship to make them whole because you feel like you'll be whole by doing that. You can look for wholeness through a spouse or a friend. You can, you can do it by, through your kids. Go back to Leah here for a second. There's a whole list here, a bunch of, of Leah and her children and the name she gives them, but there's a reason for that because there's a meaning behind every single one of these names. The first child, Reuben. Reuben means to see because she's hoping, surely he will see me now. You know, I had weak eyes. He didn't want me for my eyes. Maybe now he'll have eyes for me. Second child. Obviously it didn't happen with the first one, so he has a second, she has a second one. Names him Simeon means to hear. Well, the scene didn't work. Maybe he'll hear me. Maybe he'll finally listen to me. Maybe he'll finally bring me in. That didn't happen. So he gets to the third child. Levi means to attach. I've given him three sons. Maybe he'll finally come to his senses and finally attach himself to me and see I'm his only one. Doesn't happen. See, what's so beautiful and so vulnerable here is Leah's giving us a glimpse into her heart, into needing wholeness. But you know what? This should sound familiar. Not just from looking at Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Laban. It's like looking to our own hearts. Looking for wholeness as well. Verse 25, it says very, it's a very tight statement. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's um, even surprising. When morning came, there was Leah. Derek Kidner in his commentary He says this about that verse. He says, This is a miniature of our disillusionment experienced from Eden onward. In other words, this is what he's saying. He's saying, whatever you're hoping in right now, whatever you think will be enough, you think it'll be a Rachel in your life, but really it's going to be a Leah. That's what he's saying. He's saying that, that, that if you're wondering right now why your job is always a disappointment, if you're wondering why your friends always seem to disappoint you, if you're wondering why your life is often disappointing, your family's disappointing, the answer is because at the end of the day, you're probably expecting too much from them. 
You want them to give you what they can't give you. You're hoping in them. Your heart is set on that hope for wholeness, and it's not going to come because you're looking for it in the wrong places. You got married looking for that Mr. or Mrs. Wright. You thought she was going to be a Rachel. You thought he was going to be a Rachel, but it's a Leah. Guess what? You're probably somebody else's Leah in some other form. Maybe not marriage. Maybe your friendship. Maybe your job. I mean, it, it, it comes, what comes around goes around. Maybe it's your home. Maybe your job's Aaliyah. Maybe your home's Aaliyah. Maybe your city is. Maybe life isn't what you expected it to be. But we need, what I want you to do is look at the ways that we're trying to fill our hearts and see what won't work. Because the sooner that we wake up to that fact, the sooner we'll become less fulfilled through the things that we're striving for. And maybe we can, maybe, just maybe we can begin to realize that we're going to actually need a lot more for wholeness than what we're looking to. And we're not going to find it here. There's no way. So last point. How then can we have wholeness? Where, from whence will it come? Well, the text I think gives us two steps. Step number one, rest in his sovereignty. Step number two, uh, trust in his grace. Rest in his sovereignty, trust in his grace. Number one, rest in his sovereignty. We just detailed... How everybody in this world is looking for wholeness. We just detailed how these individuals were. And as bad as it is, what's amazing about our text is God still uses Jacob and Laban and Leah and Rachel to bring his plan of salvation through. And so I guess I really need to point this out. Please don't listen to either your own heart or what the world says. The Bible is not saying, be like Jacob, be like Rachel, be like Leah. The Bible is saying, look at these individuals. Look how flawed they are. Look at them from all different sides. And yet, despite their tendencies and their failings, despite it all, God still works through and in them. And if, if that's true, that he can still use them for the kingdom, guess what? He can still use you. You are not outside the story. You are not outside the plan of redemption. I think this is, this, there's nothing more encouraging than this, that God is at work even when we don't think he's at work. God's at work even when we don't see that work. See, look, again, look at the text. Jacob's making superficial judgments about Rachel, that she will save him, and he was wrong. We make superficial judgments about who we should marry. And guess what? <laughs> We're wrong. And yet, God is still at work. Jacob is a victim, by by the way. He's a victim of his father's non-love. Rachel is a victim of being somebody else's loved object. Leah is a victim of Jacob's misplaced love. They're all wrong. It's all messed up. And yet, God still works through and in each one of them. He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't forsake them. And if that's true... Why would you think he was going to abandon and forsake you? Why do you think he's going to abandon and forsake me? See, I, I think we need to go, right now, we need to go into the very worst moments of our lives. Go into the, into the deep character flaws that you hide from yourself and from others. The things that you can't change. The holes in your life that you constantly are filling. And you, maybe you even are so cognizant of them, but you just know you can't stop it and you just keep going. Sometimes these holes are left from wounds that other people have caused that you didn't cause. Sometimes you can't heal them and you wonder 
will God still be with me? Will he still work with me? And the answer to this text is saying, yes. You think those, these wounds and flaws are too big for him? Do you think that cancels you out? No. Your story is inside this story. What about your hole for insecurity? What about your hole for approval and acceptance? What about your hole for success? All those holes for people approval, all the holes for wanting to be accepted and loved, things that have been done to you, things that, by the way, you've done, it's the, it's the sin that's contained in them regardless. You can take all that and still rest in his sovereignty. Rest in the fact that they might have meant it for evil, but God's meaning it for good. And you can talk about, you can say they as in, as in uh, individuals, enemies in your life, but you can also say they as in the things of this world that nobody can control. You didn't ask, I know, friends, you didn't ask for the hurt that's in your life right now. The injuries that others have caused. The fact that you never got the love that your, uh, that, from your mother that you need. You never got the hug from your father that you really needed. You never got the, that man or woman of your dreams. You never got that fair shake at the world. You know what? This world is not a leveling playing field. You never got that. So, the Bible here is saying none of these people did either, but you can rest in the knowledge and truth that you are not outside of his plan. And you are outside the story, and we can rest in that sovereignty. We can rest in the sovereignty that I don't know why things are going the way that they're going right now. Don't you think that he didn't already know about that? And he knows exactly what you're up against. He knows exactly where you're at. And you might, might think that you're outside the bounds of his power and ability, but you aren't. So stop. Stop striving. Stop scheming. Stop everything. Des- over-desiring. And rest. There's a level of just, I don't know. I don't have to know. But God is sovereign, and I'm inside his plan. Number one. Number two. Lastly, trust. Trust in his grace. The way to have wholeness now, to be inside God's grace, look, go back to our text. Leah, with each one of her children, basically said, surely my husband will love me now. That's repeated, by the way. Right? She conceives again. Verse 34, now at last my husband will become attached to me. But look what happens with the fourth child. Verse 35, she conceives again. And when she gives birth to a son, she says, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. By the way, no mention of husband. Husband's gone. Outside the lens. What's happening here is a change. She's finally, in the middle of her sin, finding her out. She's finally saying, you know what? I'm going to name him Judah. And the name Judah means praise. I'm going to praise him. This time, I will praise him. You say, What's, what is the word this time? <laughs> That's her thinking back, knowing there were other times I didn't. But this time's different. I've been praising my children in the hopes for the love of my husband. But you know what? I'm done. I'm going to praise the Lord. Because I have the love of the Lord. And I guess I want to ask you to end. How did that change happen? How could she move from trusting in her children to finally trusting the Lord? And the, you know what? I've been thinking about this all week. I don't know. I have no idea. I've been racking my brain. Why did, how could she do this? And I have no idea how she did it. But you know what? I know how you can. It's in the name Judah. If you go fast forward to the end of Genesis, 
Judah, it is through the line of Judah that the Savior comes. And this matters for us because this is how grace works. God sees the world and how the world designates who's unlovely. And he says, you know what? I'm going to make the Savior of the world come through Leah. It won't be through whom Jacob loves. It won't be through whom the world loves. It'll be through your son, Leah. And actually, it's not even through your firstborn son. It's for your fourthborn son. So everybody in this room right now, if you feel like you're the fourthborn, if you feel unlovely, if you feel unlovable, if you feel unloved, the God of the universe is saying, guess what? The world unloves Leah's, but it's through Leah's that I love the world. I'll say it again. The world unloves Leah's, but you know what? I love the world through Leah's. It is through Leah's that I love the world. If salvation comes through the Leah's of the world, guess what? That now means for you and me, there's hope. Not just hope to get salvation, but to actually be part of the process of salvation in the world. See, Leah thought she was so out at this moment. She thought she was unlooked for and unloved and uncared for, and yet she was actually dead center at the middle of the redemptive process of all creation. And so are you. The moment when she feels like she's so far outside, she's actually inside it. And so what God is saying to you right now, he's saying this. He's saying, I see you when nobody else sees you. I know you when nobody else is caring to know you. And the gospel always works that way. He works with the weak and not the strong. He works with the unlovely and not the lovely. And somehow Leah know, knew in the depths of her heart, and she praised God. You know why she praised God? Because if God has given you wholeness, if he's completed you, there's nothing else left. The only thing left is praise. And so I guess I ask you, ask you transfer your heart's desires from the Rachels of this world Realize that you are the Leah, always was, always will be. We can't fulfill ourselves. We won't fulfill ourselves, but in him we are. Let's move our allegiance. Let's move our trust. Let's move our whole wholeness-making factory project that we have over to his full acceptance. And if we do, you know what will happen? Maybe not instantaneous change, but incremental change. Slow Resting, slow trusting. But for everybody who feels like they've been excluded from the world, this gives us hope. If you're striving to be accepted in this world, we have every single reason to get off that train. If we've been hurt and unloved by this world, Isaiah 52 says the Messiah was considered unlovely. He was rejected. He was despised. And he has something about it. And that's what we see in the person of Jesus, right? Born in a manger. That's not a four-star hotel. Born unlooked for, unloved, forgotten, unseen. Jesus was the ultimate Leah. Come to earth to make every single one of us Rachel. God loves Leah's. He loves Rachel's too. But he wants them all to come to him. And the question is, is will we? Will you today? Will we stop thinking about the next thing, what we're going to eat tomorrow? Will we start thinking how we're going to praise for him today? Stop treating him as... Leah, make him your Rachel. And if we do that, you know what? Sure, sin's finding us out. The natural consequences. 
But when we realize that we're looking for wholeness in the wrong places, if we rest in his sovereignty, if we trust in his grace, it will complete your story. And all the brokenness and things that are interacting and going around you, all the cacophony of of the buzz of life, that doesn't go away. But when you rest here, not only can you move forward, you can go down further in and further out. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for Leah and her vulnerability. Thank you for all these broken vessels that we're not laughing at. We see ourselves in them. We see Jacob the schemer, deceiver. We see Leah the needer, the needy individual. We see Rachel off on her own, secretly loving all the desire that she gets. And none of these things are going to be enough. You will be. Help us to rest in you. Help us to see that you bring something nothing else can come. That no father, no mother, no friend, no lover, no job can ever fulfill. But in you, we have infinite love, infinite grace, infinite rest. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.